How do you do, fellow kids, and welcome to Reskinned, a weekly episodic discussion of the star-studded and scandalous teen drama phenomenon of the late 2000s, Skins. I'm Michael Lee Richardson. And I'm Callum Sinclair. And this is episode one of series two, Tony and Maxie. Ooh, what's our signature drink for today? Our signature drink this week is a pink hooch. It's a raspberry lemonade flavour. Do you remember hooch from from the 2000s? I remember hooch, and honestly, this is the first time I've had a hooch since I was 17, probably. So Yeah, it's quite nice, actually, but um, the phenomenon of alcopops. We like an alcopop. We do love an alcopop. So this episode was written by Brian L. Elsley, who, as we know, is uh, the co-creator of Skins and was directed by Aisha Raphael. Aisha seems to have gone on to become a producer since working on Skins and has worked on things like Murdered by My Father and Murdered for Being Different, the kind of big, uh, I think, usually BBC Three docudrama things, mm. um, which are quite interesting and multi-award winning. And you had a question this episode before we kick off with our discussion. Yeah, well, because this is uh, going to be the first episode that... Oh, no, it's not even the first episode that focuses on Maxie. I, comp- I must have gone into complete denial about the Russia episode, which was allegedly <laughs> a two-hander between uh, Maxie and Anwar. But yeah, what are your impressions of Maxie, like, as a little recap going into series two, and this being the premiere episode? Why do you think chose Maxie and Tony. Generally I quite like Maxie. I think Maxie is gay representation for where we were at at the time Um, and he feels like quite a real character. I do wonder why he doesn't have his own specific episode that's all about Maxie Um, and I, I also wonder whether he could carry that off. Although I will say that I think Maxie in series one um, was a little bit of a sort of cardboard cutout, a little bit of a cipher, you know, a little bit of a, a non-character okay. who was just reactive to other characters. And I think in this episode, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, he's much more fleshed out and there is a lot more to Maxie than we had first been kind of given. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think from what I remember, certainly off the back of series one, Maxie was kind of a fan favourite character. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think a large part of that was to do with, like you said, it was quite easy to project character traits onto Maxie when they weren't necessarily there. He's obviously a conventionally attractive young man. Mm -hmm. And because Maxie's always kind of been portrayed as being fairly well adjusted, do you know what I mean? Like there there isn't inherent drama with him in the same way that there is with some of the other characters. Yes, I think you're right. And I wonder whether that's about the gay representation stuff. Mm. Like, I do think that some Sometimes people can be a bit scared of giving minority characters like drama yeah. because they, you know, it can be seen as kind of problematic if, if you know, if Maxie was falling all over, crying all the time, which wouldn't make an interesting drama. But do, do, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. Um, going back to the the fake social media profiles that were set up for each of the characters, according to the MySpace style about me section, he describes his favorite things as toast. We all love a bit of toast. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Toast boys dancing, drawing, arcade fire, and the Sistine Chapel. And he wants to meet Johnny Depp, uh, Nigel Rio Coker, and Ron from Harry Potter. Interesting, interesting. Poor old Maxie. Well, at least two of his interests have been cancelled. So (laughs) (laughs) So back to the drawing and dancing. No, I think... 
one of those interests is back to being uncancelled. I can't really follow it. Anyway, um, so yeah, the drawings and being a dancer. This is a question that I had kind of watching this episode. Uh, and I guess it's it's on that question of uh, representation. But it's like, I get why, but so many gay kids in uh, media and film and television are creative. Mm. And Maxi has is, is creative. He draws... He's also an incredible dancer. You know, it's something we talked about watching um, It's a Sin, that they're all kind of performers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a, a trope of queer performativity, which which comes up in this episode of the gay kid kind of finding themselves through a performance yeah. or being able to kind of express themselves through a performance, which, you know, I love uh, generally. It's really done really well in um, Pose, and in uh, the film And Then We Danced, which was out uh, a couple of years ago. But it does make me think, like, I would like to just see a gay kid that, you know, wants to work in an office, or, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. There's something interesting about it. I, it's not, I'm not saying it's problematic, because it's not. Lot That is the truth for a lot of gay kids, and it makes sense if somebody hasn't necessarily had a an outlet for their sexuality or to be able to talk about stuff, that they would be creative. Mm. I think in terms of the series as well, it's quite nice to have these dance segments as part of it. And although in the execution they may not reflect Maxi as a character or his story or journey so much, but it's nice to have that aspect kind of more fully represented rather than dance being kind of what he does but it's completely incidental mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to what we see yes so shall we start our episode let's uh, gutted that maxi doesn't even get his own episode that was my first kind of take but the episode opens in a church and it's got this really dramatic kind of organ music yeah. church music and i think that's a bit of a fake out to make us think this is tony's funeral mm-hmm. um, very clever but it's actually Maxi and some of his friends from college, I guess, dancing in some very 2008 baggy trousers, um, which I believe, I think we've talked about this before, but I believe they were called UFO pants. Um, Those big baggy trousers often with like sort of bits of random string coming off them for no real reason. Yeah, it's like kind of cargo pants taken to like a further extreme of of 2000s-ness. Yes, yes. And this this dancing, as much as it is pretty impressive, does feel very accurate to the sort of thing you would do in college. It's it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. It's a, a neat, interesting way to open the series. Yeah. Um, and it is. I had put in my notes that it's a bit Britain's Got Talent, but they wouldn't get through to judges' houses. Uh, it's a no from me. Blending two different competition reality shows there. <laughs> um, after he does the dance, Maxie does a funny walk that I just found really sort of jolly and delightful. Uh, and when he does his funny walk, he's walking over to Tony, who's there watching, and he's totally out of it. We find out le- later in the episode that Tony is suffering from the serious injuries that he incurred in the at the end of the last episode. 
episode uh, at the end of series one and is obviously still affecting him and he seems quite distracted when Maxi asks what he thinks of the performance and Tony says yeah it was alright but then again I do kind of agree with Tony at the same time so. <laughs> yes uh, and and neither of us have been hit by a bus um, uh, well <laughs> um, I, so full disclosure I was hit by a car quite a few years ago and actually there are elements of Tony's story in this episode and beyond that I can relate to yeah there are quite a few moments in the episode where we are seeing the serious impact of uh, how this accident has affected Tony and he so he seems to be experiencing um, amnesia disassociation and he's really kind of physically struggling with things which we'll see a bit later on Maxie and Tony get on the bus and while they're on the bus another bus goes past and Tony has this kind of PTSD moment I guess and kind of really reacts to it Mm -hmm. Um, I also had a real reaction to it because it's quite a fright Uh, and then Maxie and Tony hold hands yeah Obviously, it's kind of hyper-alertness there, hyper-awareness with, with Tony. Maxie seems to be doing a lot to try and comfort Tony mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, and I think even the little jaunty walk up to him and trying to cheer him up. I think part of the whole the performance was to try and, uh, you know, get through to Tony and to cheer him up and give him some form of comfort. So I do wonder why Maxie's doing this for Tony. I think there's there's unfinished business there yeah. to an extent. A, Maxie is a nice person. Mm-hmm. And B, there's obviously a, a closeness and a familiarity and an intenseness in there or an intensity to their relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it kind of makes sense that Maxie would be going out of his way for Tony. Yeah, and I guess Maxie is the the character that Tony has been the least shit to, Mm. um, even though Tony has been quite shit to Maxie. Um, So when they got off the bus, they bump into a bunch of sort of little chav girls, um, which feels like a very stupid skins moment. Mm. Uh, And these wee girls really love Maxie, even though they know he's gay. Uh, and they talk about how fit he is and stuff like that. Yeah, this felt a little bit like it might have been a a little nod to the to the fan base as well. Yeah, actually, this, yeah, this sort of a cheeky nod. So they go to Maxie's house, where it's revealed that Maxie's mum used to clean uh, for Tony's mum, although Tony doesn't remember her or can't can't place her. Uh, Maxie lives on this big sort of council estate. I did kind of wonder, like, did we know this detail about Maxie being very working class, particularly compared to the rest of his friends? Uh, I don't think that was ever foregrounded in the first series. It makes sense and it plays into Tony's weird power dynamic with people, and particularly, although Tony now doesn't remember um, Max's mum cleaning his house, um, that really kind of informs the relationship between the two of them, I think. Mm -hmm. So over at the Stoneham household, Tony's mum is sort of, I guess, playing with this... this, um, I don't know what they're called, like harnesses that kind of get you in and out of the bath if you've got a disability. And she's obviously really struggling with Tony's, um, you know, his his new disability. This feels like quite a sad, nuanced episode in places. Mm. Um, and I've got lots to say about the parents in Skins, 
later on in this episode, but this kind of starts this nice theme of, you know, us seeing the parents in these vulnerable situations, which I don't think we've necessarily seen before, particularly from the Stonehams. Yeah, it's a bit of a different light that they're, they're kind of cast in, and, but we do get a bit of trademark Stoneham, oh, fuck, fuck, fucking thingy-jig when she's, when she's messing around with the harness. We certainly do. We also get some incredible Effie Stoneham really enjoying the B-Day that they have (laughs) fitted on the toilet. Um, She, I don't know, I guess sprays it and then says, ooh la la. While breaking the fourth wall by looking straight into the camera. I I love it. I do feel like that was maybe an ad-libbed thing in performance and they just kind of kept it in because it is just, it it does take you out of it, but in a very Skins way. Yes. It also, it's nice to see Effie being used as the kind of source for humour, and she is used as that quite a bit in this episode. And Kaya Scolario is so good at that. Like, mm-hmm. she she is like a silent movie actress. She's yeah. so good at, like, um, when she kind of sprays the bidet and jumps a little bit, like, it's it's perfect. Yeah, yeah it's really nice to see her in that, in that kind of role uh, in this episode, particularly given how sort of dark... Effie got last season. Back on uh, Maxie's housing estate, we encounter reigning national treasure Bill Bailey, who was line dancing with his dog. What is this? I wonder if there was something on Britain's Got Talent at the time because there were there were those dog trainers and Pudsey stuff. And... Pudsey and Pudsey and or was that a bit later on? Maybe yeah, it's probably about the, that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it is a bit of an off the wall pastime or sideline <laughs> for for National Treasure Bill Bailey's character to have. But yes. um, oh, on that note, actually, we didn't mention earlier on, but Maxie's mum is played by Fiona Allen from Smack the Pony. Oh, I didn't realise that's who it was. Yeah, um, so a quite nice guest casting, I think, for, for both of those yeah. characters. Yeah, um, and Bill Bailey is very Bristolian. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's lots of kidders and my lover and stuff. We've got this group of sort of chavvy boys watching, um, and as Maxie walks past with Tony, they call him a bunch of like gay slurs and like batty boy and stuff like that, mm. which feels quite daring. And I'm not sure you get away with that on television mm. now. It's quite confronting because mm. they really reel off some slurs here. Um, but we'll see these boys a little bit later, so not going to harp on them too much. Um, although in this scene, Maxie's wearing a pink and black stripy top, mm. which is very... The stripy tops were Tony's thing in series one. And so were pink and black. Pink and black were kind of Michelle and Tony's colours. Uh, so they were. You were obsessed with to- uh, Tony and Michelle's pink and black outfits. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we find out that Maxie wants to leave college uh, to audition for musicals, but his dad wants him to work on a building site, and that is the kind of hook that this this relationship is hung on in the episode. The Chav boys start making fun of Maxie again uh, in front of his dad. Uh, Bill Bailey pushes one of them up against a wall. Uh, it's a, a boy that we later find out is called Dale. I kind of thought here this was nice characterization of... of Bill Bailey being this kind of hard man and you get the sense that he has such a reputation for being a hard man that he get can get away with being so weird and having this kind of weird hobby of blind dancing with a dog. Yeah, I think that um, Walter, which is Maxie's dad's name, Bill Bailey's character, 
is actually a very nuanced and quite interesting character. Yeah, like I he's would say one so. of the more interesting skin's parents, I think. Very evidently kind of quirky and weird. You get the sense there's more to him and part of that is Bill Bailey's performance, I think, but also there's uh, there are some nice scenes later on where it is just him and Mr. Stoneham mm-hmm. uh, as well where you get to see the parents kind of interacting with each other a bit more like so kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about seeing the parents in a different light the fact that we have uh, more scenes of of the adults without the teenagers perspective on them it's pretty good pretty good um and as a sort of coda to this uh scene dale who's the boy that walter pushed up against the wall um he's been laughed at by all of his friends so he punches a little boy <laughs> and it's just a quite funny skins joke which skins kind of comes back to this well a few times don't they like punching little kids do they <laughs> they do or they're having like a little shit of a child that kind of gets their comeuppance um so in uh, in maxie's house uh, tony's in the bathroom and he's shouting for sid uh, because he can't undo his jeans um, and it's Maxie's mum that comes and, and helps. And this is just another one of those little kind of parent scenes, I think. They laugh together and it's like this weirdly touching moment. It's very human and very vulnerable and I think it kind of gives us this totally new version of Tony. Yeah, I, I agree, but there was something just a bit off about this scene and I wonder if it was maybe Nicholas Holt's performance. There was just something that didn't quite sit right with me about how this scene was executed. I think Nicholas Holt is a fantastic actor. I think he is being asked to carry a lot in this episode. And there are moments when that just doesn't quite come off. Um, And I think that's fine. Like he was, what, 19 or something at the time. Uh, And Maxie's mum in this scene uh, asks whatever happened to Michelle and we find out what happened to Michelle uh, when we see her um, out getting drunk and making out with some guy. Um, I think at Jal's dad's Mm -hmm. place by the looks of things. Um, Chris and Jal are on their way to see Maxie uh, and Chris, this kind of sets up this nice little dynamic between Chris and Chow that I don't think we've seen too much of before. Yeah. Although Chris calls her unstudied um, when he's talking about... Um, she's complaining because she wanted to go home and get, get ready for this party that they're going to. Um, and he says she has a, an unstudied look. Well, that's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. Very rude. <laughs> And they get to Maxie's house and look through maybe the letterbox and we just get this weird joke where Maxie's mum is helping Tony pull up his zip and kind of get dressed again and Jal and Chris mistakenly think she's sucking him off maybe? Yeah, typical Skins humour that doesn't quite land. It didn't quite land for me. It felt a bit like it went nowhere. So Tony is asking about whether Sid's coming to the party and it does set up this sort of thing of like, you know, we know that Tony and Sid haven't seen much of each other recently and we're kind of asking why. Mm-hmm. Walter, um, who I've called Bill Bailey throughout all of my notes, enters and calls Jal funny name. Yeah, that was a bit weird. So Maxie's mum, when Chris and Jal enter, she says, oh, hi, Chris. Hi, Jalander. So they, they're referring to Jal by her full name. Mm. So that's 
it, but it, it it still kind of doesn't really sit right. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that Tony is not invited to this party, and he's told that Sid couldn't actually make it. Mm. Uh, and we find out that Sid is at home, uh, where he's looking at pictures of Tony in hospital, of like him and Tony when Tony is in hospital, clearly in like a coma. Um, and I did ask myself, like, who the fuck took took these photos? Yeah, I know. It's but the, the the point of it is that Tony's been asking for Sid this whole time. It's because Sid was the one who was there for him, you know, during that time while he was in hospital, while he was unconscious. So. Good old Sid standing by Tony despite all this shit that you put him through. So we also find out that Cassie has sent a video message to Sid from Elgin, which feels maybe slightly eccentric, but very Cassie at the same time. And she's dancing with two Scottish boys, Rory and Lachlan. Scottish culture getting Some represented. Good old yeah. Scottish culture, yes. Um, and obviously Sid's, you know, puts his hackles up at the sight of Cassie kind of cavorting in Highland dancing with these two boys, these strapping young lads. The sexiest type of dance, obviously. Um, and there's lots of very skins jokes about, I don't know, blowing on his pipe and things like that. I just love Sid. Like, Sid has rapidly become my favourite character in this series. His bedroom is still absolutely bulking, um, but I just love him. He's brilliant. Yeah, but now he's got a ginormous picture of Cassie in bed on his wall, which is weird. Like, also, where did that come yeah. from? <laughs> Who is this photographer? This mysterious... Mm. Oh. There is a mysterious photographer in this series, after all. Oh, no, I don't. Th- I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't think it was a mystery character covered in episode two that took these pictures. I that that picture though does look a bit like Tony's iconic bedspread. That's what I thought as well. Anyway, it yeah. was just very strange. So back at Maxie's house, he's talking to his. Uh, dad about how he doesn't want to be a builder he wants to leave college and audition for musicals his dad suggests that Maxie doesn't have the talent to make it as a dancer rude which is very rude um, and then we get this little bit of um, sort of recap, re-checking in with Anwar who's dancing in the road and his baggy jeans are falling down so you can see his pants in a very 2008 way um, and he's singing a song about pussy. And also seems to have a lot of, like, mad gold jewellery. And I wonder where he got that from. Well, do you know what? Anwar is my outfit of the week. No! <laughs> Anwar in this get-up. I love his t-shirt. Uh, What's I his think t-shirt? it looks great. It's a kind of style. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like a stylized like figure or something is on there. Yeah, I just think he looks very of the moment and... I'm into it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Wouldn't have been my choice. Mine is still coming up. Uh, Anwar puts his foot in it, obviously, uh, in typical Anwar fashion, um, and talks about the party, which, of course, Tony can't go to. Um, so they all take Tony home, and I like this little sort of cap on the scene um, where, as soon as the door is closed, Chris, they kind of take a moment, and they're obviously a bit like, oh, God, what is going on with... Uh, our friend Tony, and then Chris says, Let's go get fucked. Um, so we've got another a scene of the Stonems around the dinner table, which uh, I feel like we've seen this a few times before. This is obviously something they do quite a lot. The dad, Jim, is really clearly very worried about Tony and keeps kind of putting his foot in it with what he says uh, and he ends up kind of shouting a lot and asks if they can talk about something else. 
Uh, and Tony says, Maxie's mum says your jokes are filthy to his mum. So Anthea tells this joke about a doctor fucking his receptionist and it goes on for a while and she doesn't tell it particularly well. Um, and the reaction, I actually laughed out loud at the reaction that it got from Effie, which was just, that's crap. <laughs> I love her. She's so good at comedy and I'm so glad to see her being given like these lines, which are not necessarily huge laugh-aloud jokes, but they're so well-delivered. Well yeah. So we go back to Maxie's house. We're jumping all over in this episode, I'm afraid. Uh, we go back to Maxie's house, and he's got this very nice orange-themed room. Uh, it's very 70s with a mm. lava lamp and stuff. And then uh, a guy called Bandy turns up um, to make his son Dale, who we know was bullying Maxie earlier, apologise uh, and he's baked him a, a cake of, what was it, a cake of contrition or something. <laughs> Bandy is played by Jeffrey Hughes, who we've previously seen in last series in the Chris episode yeah. as the fat bastard that ran the... Oh, it was the junkyard. The junkyard. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of turns up later on in Gen uh, 2. And I, I, I do kind of question whether he always plays the same character or whether this is different guys that all just look the same but it's quite nice to have these recurring people that populate this world uh, as well as our kind of regulars. So we then cut to Tony trying to use a pen, trying to start writing again um, and this is intercut with another scene of Maxie dancing in his UFO pants, uh, this time on the roof of the housing estate. And I think this is actually a much better executed dance scene, and mm -hmm. it tells us a lot more about Maxie as a character, I think. Mm -hmm. And visually, it's much more interesting. Um, I think the dance is a lot better. Yeah, I think this has a lot more impact, this scene of, of Maxi dancing than, than the opening did. And as I said, it's intercut with uh, Tony trying to use his pen, getting more and more frustrated. And obviously Maxi is frustrated that he's facing these limitations or, you know, that his, his dad doesn't believe in him. All whilst this is happening, it becomes apparent that somebody is taking photos of Maxi, mm. a mysterious photographer. The thing that I thought was really impressive about this scene with Maxi dancing was this is before drones were commonplace mm. so, and this is an aerial shot. We get aerial shots. Um, so, it's, you know, Skins is always very visually ambitious, you know, not just for a, a teen drama, like for any British drama. Um, and it just felt very, you know, interesting that we were seeing that. Yeah. This would have been around the time that Torchwood was doing a lot of that as well, though, um, with people randomly standing on the tops of buildings. Um, but yeah, I just really kind of loved seeing that. We also get, you know, during this little section, we cut to Michelle having a shower with her clothes on for some reason. Yeah, well, it's Michelle's screen time. Yeah, anyway. she's having a moment. I mean, who amongst us hasn't had a shower with her clothes on and cried? Um, and Sid's watching Cassie. And the song playing is, um, it goes, it's got to get bad before it gets good. Which feels very apt for this group of characters. Back at home in his bedroom, Tony kind of loses it. And I think we get this nice stuff with Tony and Effie's relationship. There's a kind of sense that the dynamic has switched a little bit between them. Yeah. Um, she's begging him to stop. Um, 
she's kind of in the role that he was in last series, I think, for her. It's kind of protector and yeah, I just really like that dynamic. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I again I don't think Nicholas Holt is quite up to carrying this scene at this at this stage. It does feel a bit Elizabeth Barclay. It reminds me of that scene in Saved by the Bell, like the <laughs> special where it was I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Just aired a little bit too far on the side of that for me. We even get this. Uh, we get this kind of sense in this scene that even Jim is struggling. Jim Tony's dad is struggling. Um, he's got to kind of restrain Tony while he's freaking out. Mm. Uh, we later see Tony kind of lying on his iconic bedspread and he's phoning around and nobody wants to talk to him, which mm-hmm. we've seen Tony in that position before. Um, Maxie is the only one who answers. Uh, and they have this discussion where Tony's saying his dad won't let him go to college and Maxie's saying his dad won't let him leave. Um, this really nice kind of theme of dads and sons in this episode, which... I don't think Skins has necessarily done before. It's nice that we get a scene later on of the dads together. It just feels like there's there is something a little bit different that they're doing mm-hmm. this time around. Maxie's also wearing a lovely spotty scarf in this scene where he's heading to the party and he convinces Tony just to come to the party anyway. So this particular party is a bit of a rave and we have Posh Kenneth himself on the decks. On the decks, emceeing, and you know what? I'm quite impressed. Is this that? This is actual uh, Daniel Kaluuya, isn't I it? I think this was Kaluuya emceeing, and he was good. Yeah, like yeah. His, he was good. It sounded like him anyway, uh, and I was very impressed. But it looks like it's a bit of a shit night for some of our uh, guys. But we'll we'll kind of check in on them later. Um, Tony leaves for the party wearing the Dunlop green flash trainers that were kind of doing the rounds in 2008, which I loved. But my outfit of the week belongs to Miss Effie Stoneham, who's taking Tony out. She is wearing... She looks like a sort of sexy Victorian ghost. (laughs) I don't know. It's just cool. Like, it's that kind of negligee, kind of rip tight, just very Effie, smudgy eyeliner... Um, her hair's all over the place. She just looks fab. Um, so yeah, top two of the week for me. At the party, we see that Michelle is dancing with two guys. And then we have this conversation between Jowl and um, Anwar, Chris and Maxi. And I did question, why did Jowl come? Mm. Like, like I, she's increasingly, I always question, why is she friends with these people that just seem to really annoy her? Yeah, but again, I... Th- <laughs> I think that is quite true to life as well. I think that there is this sort of sense with Jal that she's like a little bit frustrated that, you know, she does seem a lot more mature in mm. some ways than a lot of her, her circle of friends, but she still has those attachments to them and it's not like she's going to find better in her immediate sphere, do you know that's what I mean? True, so that's, that's I, I think that's part of the kind of tension of Jal's character and I think that I, I get it. Something that's a little kind of thread for Jowl in this episode is is the way people see her. Um, as as I guess particularly Chris 
seeing her as not sexualized. Yeah. And in this scene, she kind of grinds on this mm-hmm. guy and, and they're wondering where this version of Jal came from. And you do get the sense that, like, well, she doesn't show this version of herself to you because you don't let her yeah. be that. Sid is also at the party having a shit time. He's got texts from Effie and Tony on his phone that he hasn't answered. <laughs> a very Nokia moment. Oh, it's, it's seeing those flip phones come out, I tell you, it takes me right back. Sid kind of has this weird episode in the club. Uh, we later find out that he's just done a, a tab of acid that Cassie sent him. Yeah, shaped his little saltire flag, I think, or it says mm. like greetings from Scotland. It was we see it's him. Take... Mighty Scotland. Oh, mighty Scotland. There we go. Um, so he's having this episode where he kind of hears bagpipe music and he shouts, "Here I come, Cass." You know, it didn't quite work for me. It didn't quite hit the spot, but the lighting is great in this scene. Lots of green lasers and. Yeah, fantastic sort of stuff. Ultraviolet. Uh, some really nice purples and stuff mm. as well. Um, so outside of this this kind of club place, um, Abigail is waiting with her friends, and she bumps into Tony, who says that he doesn't know her and he can't place her. Kind of nice to see Abigail, and it was quite a nice little moment, um, and a great moment for Effie, who kind of is obviously annoyed by Abigail. Inside the club, when they go inside, glow sticks are having a real moment in 2008. Um, and we get this great scene of Tony kind of dancing um, and then in intercut with him shouting for help. And it kind of feels, it felt like a 90s music video to me. It had that feel of like, sort of smack my bitch up or something like that. And it was one of those kind of visually ambitious skins moment that just kind of elevates this series for me. Mm. Yeah, it 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 does look intense, and it kind of it, it does reflect the sort of state of mind that Tony's in. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maxie leaves the club and ends up in the woods, uh, where the boys from earlier attack him, and he runs away. And he again, this is quite interesting. Like he runs away, but he's sort of whooping and like it seems quite joyful as he's running away like Mm. there's a kind of excitement and it's got this great kind of grimy track underneath it as well an uplifting quality to it although he's running away from these like horrible abusive boys Mm. like but as it turns out one of said boys dale the one that came with the cake earlier on tackles maxi comes up tackles him and kisses him yeah and i had a question like is this gross like, because I think this is actually quite in keeping with Maxie's character. Um, he is quite happy-go-lucky and, you know, saying, ah, oh, fuck it. And just mm. just going with something feels very true to him. But this moment does feel a bit off and weird. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that Maxie is consenting. <laughs> We've maybe moved on in terms of representation <laughs> since this time, but yes, it is what it is. Was it earlier in this episode that Tony... Yeah, it was when Tony was on the phone to him earlier on that he was like, are you going to gay me? Yeah, that comes back later. As well. Mm. Mm. Um, So Jim, Tony's dad, is looking for him and he turns up at Maxie's house. And this is when we get that that kind of really nice nuanced conversation between uh, Jim and Walter, uh, Maxie's dad and Tony's dad. And it, it does feel like with Jim, like they've just turned him a little bit. Yeah, and he feels like a completely new character, and it, but it completely in keeping with who he was before, and it feels really nice. I would have never ever thought that uh, a scene with Harry Enfield and Bill Bailey would be one of my favorite moments in an episode, <laughs> yes. but weirdly, it, it absolutely was. It's really moving. 
yeah, just really well executed and just like long enough as well that you, yes. you that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, yeah, it was a really nice moment in this episode. So back at the party, Michelle and Sid have both left and they're kind of lost in the woods, literally, which I felt was a bit on the nose. Um, so Sid finds Michelle and they have this this kind of conversation um, where Michelle reveals that she's been avoiding Sid because he reminds her too much of Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sid reveals that he was the only one who visited Tony in hospital. Well, apart from whoever this mysterious photographer was. Yes, the photographer that took the photos. Yeah. While they're having a conversation, Tony finds them, uh, just as Michelle is about to reveal what Tony said to her on the phone when he was hit by the bus. Well, um, he's been sitting there the whole time, it appears. It like appears. He's sort of crouched down there. It's quite a nice scene and it's very well filmed. Yeah, it is very kind of on the nose that they didn't notice that Tony was literally oh, I think that's fine. Them, but hey-ho. Well, Sid's on acid and... Um, Michelle's off her head. Michelle's well, Michelle. Uh, and then Tony says that he will remember everything and it's kind of hard to interpret whether that's you know, a positive thing or a bit of a threat. We then get to to Maxie heading back home and Tony turns up outside Maxie's door. He can't find his own own home. Elephant in the room here. I do kind of ship Maxie and Tony. Do you? On the basis of this episode. Kind of... They could have gone there? They could have gone... Well, here we go, because this is probably the last opportunity that we'll have to to really talk about this. But So in Skins US... Mm -hmm. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So in Skins US, Maxie isn't a character. They replaced Maxie with a character that kind of fills the same role as Maxie, who is uh, a young cheerleader, lesbian, like seemingly well-adjusted and quite popular and and uh, conventionally attractive, called Taya. Um, and with Taya and Tony, they go there. Oh, they make yeah, it an it's actual, kind of gross. They yeah. make it an actual love triangle between like Tony, Michelle, and Taya. The, the Yara Zayda thing has like a good uh, video about Skins US, um, where she kind of talks in a bit more depth about like why this doesn't particularly sit well, like reformatting the story and kind of putting Taya into this kind of position, mm. like where you know they wouldn't have done it with Maxi. But I think it actually would have made more sense with Tony and Maxi because yeah. I mean they've got that previous moment and it seems like Tony um, and I mean at this point like who the fuck else is going to go for Tony like Maxie's his only friend yeah. but, maybe those chav girls on the on the hood of the car so Tony is kind of shipped off home uh, and Maxie has to tell his dad that he doesn't want to go back to college Bill Bailey or um, Walter even is eating Dale's cake for breakfast so he's a man after my own heart a lemon drizzle a lemon drizzle a lovely lemon drizzle uh, Walter tells Maxie that he's good at dancing uh, and I love this touch of Maxie saying he knows mm-hmm. um and and Walter says he wants to take some credit for how Maxie turned out and admits that he loves him too much to let him go. Mm. Aww. I mean, I just feel like this 
this relationship and this kind of theme of dads and sons and this relationship um, between Maxie and his dad feels really nice and nuanced and mm-hmm. it's not, I mean yeah that's the thing I think it had potential to go into kind of Billy Elliot territory mm-hmm. but they walked up to the line but they they've done something different with it so mm. although Billy Elliot territory is not bad territory that's it's not good bad feel. territory but it's but it's, it's well trod yes like you were saying yes so Walter agrees to kind of let Maxie go and do his auditions and stuff, but he asks him to give him one more year uh, and go back to college. And you do get the sense that he just wants Maxie to have something to fall back on, which just feels really nice. And then there's this moment of Tony trying to write his name, which has been, as we said before, this kind of little recurring motif in the episode. And Maxie's helping him and he tells him to just dance it. Um, which feels very maxi, um, and it works, and Tony's able to sign his name, uh, which feels like a nice, good, triumphant telly moment. Mm-hmm. But I did wonder whether we want Tony to kind of remember who he was or to go back to who he was before, because he was kind of unbearable. Well, I, d- I don't think it would ever be the case of Tony going back to who he was before, because I think now that he's experienced some form of hardship and, and disability. I think that's the thing. It's kind of given him a, a sense of perspective, this accident. So I don't think he ever would go back to being mm. the kind of villain that he was before. Well, we shall only see. I remember a lot from this series, but I don't remember that much about the Tony and kind of Sid and mm. Michelle and Cassie storylines. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how this shakes out. And I guess we'll kind of wait and see. Mm. Did you like this episode? Do you know, thinking back, when this first aired, I wasn't very impressed with this episode at all. I looked at it quite unfavourably, and I think part of that was due to so the, the promo for Series 2 and the grandiose sort of gothic vibe of this promo stuff. And I thought that was going to kind of carry over in, into Series 2. Uh, and that from the outset that it would be higher budget, more visually distinctive and kind of more like the Effie and Chris episodes. Um, and this episode isn't that, but in the kindness of time, I've, I feel a little bit more favourable towards it because it does do some nice little things. Going into this episode, I thought that I was going to hate this episode when rewatching it, when actually I like it quite a bit more than I did Mm. on my first viewing no I would agree like the thing that I really remembered from this was Bill Bailey and the lion dancing dog and it just was it felt a bit like what the hell is this Mm. but going back to it there's a lot of nuance in here and there's a lot to like about it there's it also feels like tonally a bridge between the kind of humor of series one and the the more kind of serious stuff of series two um, so yeah, there's a lot to like about it. Was never going to be an absolute favourite for me, but I think it does the job fairly well. So uh, we will see you again in a week for episode two. Dot S- dot dot sketch. Who? Who is she? Uh, they. Who knows? Who is, <laughs> what? What sketch? Sketch what? Who? Um, the promo for the next episode, which plays right at the end of this episode, doesn't actually show the character. It just shows ah, like little cameras going off and like some of the characters that we already know and things. But it's all very abstract. So who is Sketch? We'll find out next week. Uh, bye. Bye. Nice routine, Dad. Nice. It's gonna fucking slam at the regionals.